0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hey, hey! I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for, for giving me this space to speak and, and to share with you. I do truly believe that there is no better place for you to be than found at church in the house of God, in God's presence, On a Sunday morning, Uh, I'll tell you right now it's in His presence that burdens break. It's in His presence that freedom is found. It's in His presence where healing is released. It's in His presence where freedom uh, is found, where futures are established. And it's in His presence that hope is given. Do you know a church without God's presence is nothing more than a social club, an RSL, just a house for courses and activities. And I think it is time where the church rises up and say, God, we want more power. We want more presence. We want more of you in our lives that we don't just offer classes, courses and podcasts, but we offer the very reality of you moving in and through us. Friend, it feels like we've been walking in a spiritual desert for far too long and God wants to bubble up a new outpouring of His Spirit. And so we're taking a journey as a church through the book of Acts. And can I just say, I love the book of Acts. The book of Acts is full of incredible signs, wonders, miracles, and revivals across entire regions and cities. And I dare you, if you haven't already, to pick up this and read Acts in your own time, And you not have your faith built up. You have not your perspective shift for what God might do in and through His church and in and through you. You know, I'm a big believer that what was central for the early church must become core for the modern church that what we read about in Acts is not just a romantic remembering of a past that was once great, but that it is the very invitation of Jesus into the inheritance that is ours as sons and daughters of God, that when we read the Scriptures, they would come alive and we would believe and be hungry to see that in our own space. So I'm gonna communicate today a little bit different. Normally I go a very charismatic I'm already very shouty. I will try to turn that down. I'm not angry, okay? This is what happens when I get passionate. I always have to tell my wife, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> I worked that joke in on the plane here, and I thought it was great, but you just all brought me straight back to earth, and so <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but hey, we're going to read from Acts chapter 3 of a man who was healed from a disease from birth. And really what we're going to do is we're going to take a deep dive into the doctrine of divine healing and unpack that uh, in a really practical way. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you kind of the the rundown at the very beginning. We're going to do an explanation, which is to say we're going to pick up this text. We're going to read the story of Scripture. And we're going to say, God, what does it say? What does it mean? And we're going to look at divine healing. But then what we're going to do is go into a moment of demonstration where we're going to actually open the altar. We're going to pray for people. I believe people are going to be healed. People are going to encounter God in a powerful way. Uh, And then what we're going to do at the end is do a commission, which is to say it is not okay for church and Christianity to be just the responsibility of a few on stage, but it is the responsibility of followers of Jesus to carry who God is into every space that they go. And here's my end point right at the beginning. Do you know that the demonstration of power gives authority to the preaching of the kingdom? So what we do is we unpack Scripture and we preach the kingdom is that God shows up in mighty powerful ways to confirm and give authority to the message of the kingdom. So we're going to go explanation, demonstration, commission. Clear as mud? (laughs) That's why you disagree with me. You don't agree, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 3, let's read together, right? From verse one, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Everyone say hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, right? Which is what we're talking about before. Alms is a type of giving that was given to the poor, to the needy. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, what did he have in his pocket? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for arms and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him." actually funny, when I preached this at Gold Coast, this um, older gentleman came up to me and he said, Do you know what, Isaac? I said, oh no. <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm glad I've studied this. I'm ready for a theological war. And, uh, and he comes up to me and he goes, you know what's funny about that scripture? And I said, you know what? He goes, he asked for arms, but God gave him legs. <laughs> How awesome is that? I'd never heard that before. I just thought that was great. And so (laughs) I just say it and uh, I can't take credit for that, but let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the joy of the Lord as being our strength, uh, that we can come into this place and we can worship, but God, we are not content to just come in and leave uh, having ticked off the church card, but we wanna encounter you in a real and powerful way that would transform us, that we would enter into Monday different than when we entered today. And so God, I pray that you would use me as a servant, as a mouthpiece, would you hum? me to only speak what you would have. Hold my tongue when it needs to be held. Help me to speak into things when it needs to be spoken, God, that I would be a conduit for your truth and your message. Right now, we take authority of every power and principality that would raise itself up against the knowledge of you, Jesus. We thank you that you take it away, that there is a clarity and there is a receptiveness to hear from heaven today. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Well, just go on a journey with me for a moment. Um, I wanna share a bit of a grievance I have with shopping centres. Is that okay? Now, I don't know if you experience this here in New South Wales. In Queensland, this is rife. Okay, I hate it when I, I know hate's a strong word and I strategically chose it because it's true. I despise it with all of my being when I go into a shopping centre and I go around the corner. I'm just there for bread. One loaf of bread. It's all I'm there for. And in between The Woolworths or the Coles or the Audi or whatever it is and me is what I call a sales centre. You know those people that are in the middle of the walkway that try to get you to sign up for something, try to get you to buy something, try to get you to get your email? Maybe they just wanna have a chat because they're lonely. I don't know what it is, but they're always there and I can't stand it. It's like, I just want a loaf of bread. I don't want to have to sign up for HelloFresh. I don't want to have to get a paintball at a very good price. I don't even want to play paintball. Does this body look like it gets hit with bullets? No. Side note, I did carpentry for two years and every day, this is a very TMI, but whatever, I went home and I would moisturise my hands because I hated the feeling of that rough skin. God saves us all. Same. Same. So I'm going there, right, and you go to these, and here's the thing, when you see them from a distance, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're not like me, but, but I kind of look and I'm like, okay, what's my best course of action that I don't have to interact, right, with the people there? You know, I know, I'm working on it, God's really trying to show, you. they're people too, Isaac, um, and, I, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, but here's the issue. They always put it right in the middle. So it doesn't matter if you go the left, if you go the right, you're always within eye shot and earshot. You know, if there was a shopping center that advertised we are a stall-free center, I would travel a distance to go there. Right, but what I've found is that there's generally three types of shoppers when it comes to these kind of kiosks. There's either the empty shopper, the enraged shopper, or the escapist shopper. The empty shopper is so naive, they have brought nothing to the gunfight they're about to walk into and they can identify you. They go straight after you and they get you in and you might not even sign up for everything, but let me tell you, you've wasted 15 minutes of your life. Your wife or your partner probably doesn't even want the bread that you came for in the first place. So then you get home and you go, why did you get take so long? Not that I've been there. This is just hypothetical, right? Maybe (laughs) some Right? You're the escapist. You're just at the mercy of those people and they get you. Or you're the enraged shopper. Now, the enraged shopper, right, they let them know that they're angry that they're inhabiting the shopping centre that they shop. It's like you will start walking there and you're just grizzly. You let them know that you don't wanna to talk to them. You let, you, you let them know that they're an inconvenience. It's when they call out to you, their existence is not even there for you. You ignore them, head down straight through to where you're going. You're in and out as quick as you can. Now, for, for some of you who are that, man, we really need to pray for you. <laughs> Right? What you need to understand is that if you're a Christian, you jump over to the category called the escapist, right? This is me. You know, what we do when we don't want to talk to someone is we socially lie. <laughs> it's like, how are you doing on a Sunday? Yeah, I'm great. You're not great. You just socially lied, right? You're a Christian. Normally you fall into this camp. So what it is, is you have the same heart as an enraged shopper, but you're too Christian to let them know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Just go for generally. genuinely. And so we have weapons that can help us not get caught up, right? It's usually this, as you walk, get towards them, you pick up your phone. Yeah, babe, I'm being as quick as I can. I know you're not feeling well. I got, I'm getting the bread as quick as I can, right? You're not actually on the phone. You just lied to them, right? And then you have to repent and it's just this whole thing. And, um, or here's the thing. I'm a new parent. And so I found a new way to combat. This is what I did two weeks ago. No word of a lie. Have my baby in the pram. As I walk up to them and they come to me, I go, sorry, she's asleep. Gotta keep going. I tested the theory. I walked backwards and forwards four times. They didn't bother me again. I have found the winning formula. If you don't have a child, buy a pram and put a cover over it. Pretend you have a kid. They'll never deter you again. (laughs) It's a funny story, right? And I'm sure we can all relate. But but the reason I share that is it kind of is a picture of how we can at times relate with the topic of healing. Right, we can at times when we hear the word healing kind of reroute. Maybe you're like, oh, I don't even want to come today. We're looking at Acts 3. We're going to talk about healing. I want to kind of reroute my path and try and stay clear as much as possible from that. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to engage it. And sometimes it's for valid reasons. Maybe you've been disappointed before and you've prayed for someone and you've believed for someone to be healed, maybe someone close to you and, and it hasn't come to fruition. And so now through disappointment, you don't even wanna go there anymore. And so it's like so far from even your, your, your life of faith that you just don't even wanna touch it, you sidestep it, you reroute. Or maybe you've kind of seen it done really weird, Right? And so you go, man, I don't wanna borrow that. If anyone knew that I believed in healing after watching that guy or that girl, right? I don't even wanna go there. Or maybe you don't even believe that God heals today. But if we're honest, I think at times, myself included, I've ventured and veered away from even believing for God to heal because of experience and frustration. And my heart today is, is, as we unpack the Scriptures, is that we would all take one step closer to God's heart and God's reality when it comes To healing, You know, I love the book of Acts. It's written by Luke, who authors the same gospel according to his name. And it tells the story of the actions of the apostle as it relates to the planting, the development, the growth and the expansion of the early church. The first third of the book focuses primarily on the life of the apostle Peter. And the last two thirds focus primarily on the life of the apostle Paul which is to say that Acts gives us a glimpse into what is foundational, paramount and core practice for the early church. And it shows God how he is himself present, active, strong and able in the life and activity of his church. I love this from Wright and Bird commentating on, on, on Acts. They say this, Luke refers back to his gospel as the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach The story he now tells us of what Jesus continues to do and teach through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in the apostles. See, there is an important foundation to understand when it comes to the power of God moving in the church today is that the emphasis is never on a person, on a title, on a position or on an office. Rather, it is on the power and presence of God working through His people to achieve what He desires which is to say in the Gospels, God outworked miracles to people. But now in Acts, in the New Covenant, God outworks miracles through people. Friend, we live in a day and an age whereby we can no longer leave the responsibility of the advancement and the establishment of God's kingdom to a select few and sit back idly while the world passes us by. Rather, I believe we are entering into a season season which God again wants to reactivate His people for kingdom activity to see a move of God like we read about in the book of Acts that we would not partake of Sunday Christianity or programatized faith. Rather, we would be a people anointed by God's Spirit to push back against the kingdom of darkness and advance and establish His kingdom and will on earth, even as it's being done in heaven. Friend, it is time for the people of God to stand up and be all that God has called us to be. The time is now. Your workplace needs what you have. Your high school needs what you have. Your university needs what you have. Your family needs what you have. Your friendships need what you have. Our city, this state, our nation needs what we have. Let us rebirth what we read in the early church. That's That's good. You know why? Because it means you don't just get to sit in a seat and just spectate what God does. You get to engage in the very heart He has for the people around you. See, before we can even look at healing, it is vital that we understand the emphasis when God moves is never on a person or a brand or an image or a style of preaching or leading. It is on God who works through people to reach His children. So as we continue to read the story of Peter and John, they're heading to the temple to pray. And on their journey, they cross paths with a crippled man who is laid at the gate of the temple to ask for alms from people as they enter in. And as Peter and John approach him, he says, arms for the poor, he begs for money. And what we observe from this text is that Peter and John were heading to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now there is something intentional and powerful in the mentioning of this in the book of Acts. So, amongst the Jews of the day, there were three hours of prayer there was 9 a.m., there was 12 p.m., and there was 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So, what we're witnessing in this story was not a one off momentary decision by Peter and John, rather, it was the regular practice that they would step into the temple to pray. But what we don't hear in this, what was customary during this day, is that the hour of prayer would normally follow an hour of sacrifice. Right, C Morgan points this out. Peter and John were not going to the temple at the hour of sacrifice, but at the hour of prayer that followed the afternoon sacrifice. They realized the sacrificial system was fulfilled in the perfect sacrifice Jesus offered on the cross. See Peter and John had a great understanding of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that when He said it is finished, it had practical religious implication on how and what they did. No longer did they have to go through sacrificial rituals to approach God. No longer did they have to go through certain practices in order to be made new. No, no, they were cleansed and they were made new because of what Jesus had already achieved on the cross. Cross, Friend, may we never lose sight of the power of the cross. Must we never think that we're too cool that we are too smart, that we're too intellectual, too old, too experienced, to graduate from the message of the cross. In fact, it is the message and reality of the cross that gives us faith to believe for God to move. It is the reality of the cross that reminds us of how God loves us and cares for us. It is the reality of the cross that reminds us we now stand in right relationship with God Himself. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So Peter and John, they don't disregard prayer. They disregard the hour of sacrifice, but they engage in the hour of prayer. Why? Because in Acts, we see revealed that prayer is a core practice of the early church. In Acts 2.42, it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. See, the author of Acts highlights They were going to the temple to pray, but they weren't going to the temple for sacrifice. We must never move past the requirement and the necessity and the power that prayer has in our life. We can't get too important to pray. We must fight the temptation to be too busy to pray, but prayer needs to become a key component of our life with God. See, I think a lot of us have prayer as an optional add-on to our spiritual life. And maybe we don't say it that way, but we definitely believe it by how we behave. We might say things like, well, I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need to pray. He lives in me. I don't need to pray. That was like for, for those religious lawful people, right? I don't need to pray anymore. I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need to pray. I mean, isn't that something you just do when your life's like in the dumps? My life's going pretty well right now, if I'm honest. I don't need to pray. Maybe I'll pray if life goes down, but, but I don't need to pray now or, or I don't need to pray. I mean, I go to church. We slip into this concept that Christianity is just about an hour and a half on a Sunday. We say things like, I don't need to pray. I mean, our church has prayer cards. I just get people to pray for me. <laughs> Some of the chuckles is because maybe you're sitting around those people thinking, "I know who that is." <laughs> Everyone right now goes, "Oh my goodness, pray! I'm praying tomorrow, <laughs> right?" But we add, look, we live like prayer is just an add-on to. Our life, but friend, let me tell you, prayer is the place of intimacy with God, prayer is a pra- place of release, Pla- prayer is a place of encounter, prayer is a place of connection to God. In fact, when the Spirit came upon the early church, they did not neglect prayer, they needed it. Yes. So, what happens is that they're on their way to pray and they're met with a beggar who is crippled in need of a miracle. See, I'm more and more convinced as I dive into this that prayer and the power of God are so closely connected, so much so that Peter and John are on their way to prayer when they're provided with an opportunity to release the power of God. Friend, you devote your life to prayer and you watch how God moves through your life. You devote yourself to prayer and you watch how God moves in your family. You devote yourself to prayer and you watch how your perspective begins to shift. You devote yourself to prayer and you watch how Sunday comes alive. You devote yourself to prayer and you watch how you can't be bored as a Christian anymore. You devote yourself to prayer and you watch how your life will become a magnet for the miraculous. As we continue to read, we see the moment a miracle occurs for this beggar and the beggar who's asking for money really needs a miracle. And can I ask us this question? How many people do we pass who are in need of a miracle? How many people in our everyday life, work, rhythm, routine, dropping the kids off places, going to classes, how many people do we pass who are in need of a miracle? See, it could have been easy for Peter and John to have sidestepped, to rerouted or to bypass this interaction, but instead they engaged in the need of the person who was before them. And let me tell you, you won't have to look far to see people around you who are in need, people around you who are desperate, people around you who are hurting, who are hopeless, who are searching for answers in places that can never give them what they're looking for, and they are waiting for people to offer them what their heart desires. They might not know it, but it's the very person and power of Jesus. So Peter and John stop in this moment. They don't offer money. They offer something far greater, a healing. The team can jump up and you know, somehow bring this to a close. And We're going to camp here because something significant and something profound occurs. See, Peter and John, they did not even hesitate when it came to offering this man healing. Like I don't know about you, right? but I read this and I go, man, if that was me, I don't know if I'd be as bold as them. Like maybe when I'm in this space and the keys are playing and you're already there with me and we're excited, I'd go after it. But man, not in my everyday, man, I don't know if I'd have that kind of level of boldness. I don't know if I'd have that kind of level of faith. I mean, if it was me, I probably would have looked at Peter, looked at John and said, maybe we should hold a a kind of meeting to decide, is God gonna show up? Uh, what happens if he doesn't? Is it really gonna impact God's image with this man? Or, or what happens if, uh, I know, I know, I know, Peter, let's go pray. And if we feel God give us a word to pray for this guy, then we'll do it. <laughs> oh, Peter, maybe we should just go to prayer. You know, we're gonna be late because every Christian's always five minute late to a service, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, we're gonna be more late than what we already are. Maybe if we come back and he's still there, maybe we'll do it. They did not even hesitate when it came to healing this man. I love what F.F. Bosworth says. It is impossible to boldly proclaim by faith a blessing which we are not sure God offers because the power of God can be claimed only where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Duffield and Van Cleve say this, no one will ever have the right kind of faith to believe God for healing until they see sickness as God sees it. So what caused them to not even hesitate in their command of healing to the crippled man? I believe it was because they were so convinced of God's desire and will when it came to divine healing that there was not one slather of doubt in their mind. The only responsible uh, action from them to this man was to offer what they believed God could do. See, if we don't know what God, think, God thinks when it comes to sickness, we'll never operate in it. And I understand when we talk about healing, there's lots of chatter, there's lots of murmur, and there's lots of thought. Friend, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. I've prayed for family members and believe for God to heal and restore them and have not seen it come to pass. But I take comfort in the fact that when we are glorified and in heaven, we receive our healing in full. But I'm not content to just sit and wait till that day. But I believe we have a mandate to grab heaven and to release it here on earth. So I will continue to pray, I will continue to believe and I will continue to have faith that God can move. If we don't know what God thinks when it comes to sickness, we will let fear determine our action instead of faith dictating our boldness. And so we're gonna camp on this interaction and look at some biblical clarity around divine healing. It saddens me that what was core for the early church has become controversial for the modern church. So bear with me as we kind of go a bit heavy on Scripture, but I wanna provide, not my opinion, what the Word of God says. So when it comes to healing, three foundational principles. One is we need to understand the origin of sickness. Sickness is a result of sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, death is sickness matured. And when sin entered in the garden, the fruit of that moment was that there was sickness in the world. Had there been no sin, there would have been no sickness. Sickness was not in God's original intent and design for humanity. But what I love is that God did not just come to heal those physical ailments. He came to deal with the very source of all that is broken and fractured in the world and to remove the power and the penalty of sin. Second, We need to understand it is in God's nature to heal. The Old Testament, we see that God reveals Himself with certain names and those names demonstrate His nature and His character. In Exodus 15, 26, God says to the people, I am the Lord, your healer. And if we jump to the New Testament, let's camp here for a little bit as Jesus Himself continues to reveal God as healer. Jesus in John five nineteen says this: Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Paul in Colossians 1:15 speaking about Jesus, says this: He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Which is to say that God reveals Himself as the Lord our healer in the Old Testament, and Jesus puts on flesh and reveals: Yes, this is who God is. If you don't believe me, let's look at healing in the ministry and life of Jesus. There are 72 individual miracles of healing accredited to Jesus. 10 occasions of general healing of large amounts of people where there were in fact entire cities and regions that experienced healing. Let me read a couple to us. Notice the emphasis on the word all and every. Matthew 4, 23. And He went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Mark 6, 54 to 55. And whenever He came in villages, cities or countrysides, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored Him that they might touch even the fringe of His garment and as many as touched it were made well. Luke four forty. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Him and He laid His hands on every one of them and He healed them. Luke six nineteen. And the, all the crowd sought to touch Him for power came out from Him and He healed them all. In the life of Jesus, in one of the Gospels, we see this. Two blind men are healed. A demon possessed person is healed. A deaf and mute man is healed. Another blind man is healed. A widow's son is raised from the dead. A woman who was bowed over is healed. A man with swelling is healed. Ten lepers is healed, the ear of the servant of the high priest is healed, a nobleman's son is healed, an impotent man at Bethsaida is healed, a man born blind is healed, Lazarus is raised from the dead. In two Gospels, we see a demon-possessed man in a synagogue who is healed, a centurion's servant is healed, a blind and mute demon-possessed person is healed, a schizophrenic, schizophrenic, whatever, woman's daughter is healed. That wasn't, that wasn't my tongues, but... (laughs) I, I, sorry. Um, Mary Magdalene was healed. Found in three Gospels, there's a leper who was healed. Peter's mother-in-law is healed. A man with a legion of demons is healed. A palsied man is healed. A woman with the issue of blood is healed. Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. A man in a synagogue with a withered hand is healed. A demon-possessed child is healed. Blind Bartimaeus is healed. And then Jesus healed multiple people at one time. Friend, it is in the nature of God to heal. 30 seconds, are you ready? Number three, healing was paid for at the cross. God began to undo the work of the devil at the cross. This includes sickness. So much so that even David in the Psalms would say this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all my iniquity, and who heals all All my diseases. Isaiah 53, prophesying about Jesus who was to come, the Messiah, said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In Matthew 8, it says this They brought many to him who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled. Quoting Isaiah 53, what we just said, that the prophet said he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. 1 Peter, reflecting back on the life of Jesus, says this, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. The Greek word for healing in the New Testament is always in connection with the healing of a physical ailment. So there's three core principles when it comes to healing. We need to understand sickness is a result of sin and it is in God's nature to heal and that healing was paid for at the cross. So you can understand Peter and John in that moment did not flinch, did not hesitate. They'd seen what Jesus had done. They understood the the prophecies in the Old Testament. They understood God was their healer. And so in that moment, they did not even hesitate to proclaim healing for that person. In case you believe it stopped with Jesus, let me just go us on a journey through Acts. We see a lame man healed in Acts 3. Many were healed in Acts 5. There were wonders and miracles in Acts 6. There was a revival in Samaria in Acts 8 where people were healed. There was a person healed in Acts 9. Tabitha was raised from the dead in the back half of Acts 9. There was a crippled man who was healed in Acts 14. Paul himself was raised up in Acts 14. There was a demon cast out in Acts 16. There were special miracles dispensed in Acts 19. Eutychus was healed in Acts 20. And there were people healed on the idol of Melita in Acts 28. Friend, God desires to heal. Why don't we all stand and In the next minus one minute, 45 seconds, we're gonna. See, Peter doesn't refer to his skill. Peter doesn't refer to the fact that he knew Jesus. No, no, no. He offered healing. Why? Because he understood it was God's Spirit working through him. He attached the ability to heal to the very name and mention of Jesus Christ of Nazareth which again is to recognise it's not a man or a woman or a person that heals, no, no, no. It is God working through someone to reach His child. See, the name of Jesus is a powerful force against disease and sickness, and it is a battering ram for the kingdom of darkness. In this portion of Scripture, it was the name of Jesus that healed this man. I love that faith looks like belief in action. The faith causes us to act. So what we're gonna do in this moment is I'm gonna count to three And if you're here and you are believing for God to heal something in your body, or maybe you're believing you're standing in the gap for someone you know, a friend or a family member that you've been believing for healing for, we're gonna pray and we're gonna believe God's gonna show up. But even more than that, if you're here and you say, I need a touch of of God's presence, I need an encounter with Him. I've felt dry and desolate for far too long. Friend, we wanna stand with you and believe for God's Spirit to be poured out. Out of you. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three, but here's my challenge. I don't want you to look to the left. I don't want you to look to the right. I don't want you to look to the person in front of you, behind you, what is everyone else doing? This is a moment and an invitation by God to you, His child, to receive something from Him. And so on the count of three, if you're here and you're believing for God to move, come to the front, one, two, three. Thank you, Lord. Ben's gonna sing, we're gonna pray, then there's gonna be a team we're gonna go through and pray for you, you can make room.